This is episode 22 of the No Limits podcast. Thanks for joining us again. The podcast is brought to you by Tangle Free Waterfowl. You work hard all year anticipating the small window of time you get to spend in the blind. How disappointing is it to get to that moment only to have your gear fail? It sucks. You should never tolerate gear failure. Tangle Free delivers gear that functions exactly as it's designed to every time, year after year after year. You've heard me say, don't waste your hard-earned time and money on gear that only lasts a year or two. Head over to TangleFree.com for panel blinds, layout blinds, decoys, and accessories. And because you are a valuable No Limits podcast subscriber, you'll get free shipping on your entire order. Just enter promo code PASSION at checkout. Think about how much you can save on bulky, expensive-to-ship items like blinds and decoys. Now that shipping is free, you can buy more stuff. Go to TangleFree.com and enter promo code at PASSION and get free shipping at checkout. Is your coffee hunter-friendly? Do you really know where your coffee comes from? Who are you really paying to get it here? And what are the political ideologies and agendas of the buyers and middlemen? What if I told you there's a coffee producer that buys directly from the farmer, cuts out the anti-Second Amendment, anti-hunting middlemen, and supports the U.S. Sportsman's Alliance, and has great-tasting, full-bodied, delicious coffee? I have a cup of it in front of me right now. Hunter's Blend Coffee is that company. We had Paul and Mike on the podcast explaining their revolutionary approach to their direct trade model and the impact it's had on the poor farming communities. I would invite you to go back and listen to episode 16 of the podcast. If you haven't, it was an amazing discussion. I never knew. I never knew what goes into getting coffee from coffee from point A to point B and all the different hands that that goes through and what those hands are at work doing that is not in our best interest. Um, This new purchasing model has put money back into farming communities. It's helping to open churches, made healthcare available, and has absolutely changed lives, not to mention help fight terrible anti-hunting and anti-Second Amendment legislation where we need it most in the courtroom. Head over to huntersblendcoffee.com. Use promo code no limits, all one word, at checkout and get 10% off of your order. Look, you're going to buy coffee. Why not have it delivered to your door from a company that has your hunting and Second Amendment rights in mind and supports your right to hunt and save 10% in the process and help the farming communities in South America and Vietnam, uh, the, the people that are really just taken advantage of in this whole process? and save 10% doing it. No limits at checkout, all one word. Hunter's Blend, great coffee, great mission, Hunter's Blend Coffee. Okay, my guests today are two guys that are recently connected with on social media, Richard Charlton of Damascus Waterfowl and Philip Armstrong of Delta Snows. Both Richard and Philip are super passionate duck and goose hunters, but both are also medically disabled veterans who are also passionate about connecting and helping other veterans. Richard's Damascus Waterfowl Club is located in southern Missouri, and Philip is an outfitter with Delta Snows, located in the Mississippi Delta. You know how much I love that place. Focusing primarily on snow geese and specks, Richard is also on staff with Fallen Outdoors, which is a fantastic organization that connects past and current military servicemen and women with other servicemen and women through hunting and fishing. 
Philip is partnered with DTD Outdoors, which is a land management organization in Monroe County, Mississippi, that also provides hunting opportunities to children as well as disabled veterans. When I spoke with Richard and Philip, we talked about how veterans are uniquely qualified to help other veterans, and in doing so, actually wind up experiencing healing themselves. There's just something beautiful and something healing about helping others. We talk about their combat experience in Afghanistan, Richard while serving with the Army, and Philip in the Marine Corps. (laughs) Simplify. Then coming home, the challenges each faced, how they attacked those challenges, and then channeled their energies into helping others. It was a really super inspiring conversation with two warriors who served this country and are now serving others and in the process serving themselves and healing themselves. I want to thank them both for their sacrifice and service and I also want to welcome to the podcast Richard Charlton of Damascus Waterfowl and Fallen Outdoors and Philip Armstrong of Delta Snows. and everybody's hooked up and everybody's good everybody's microphone sounds good you guys doing all right yes sir good awesome awesome we're a little late but i'm glad you guys can get on it's a pleasure to be on yeah we appreciate it yeah and so we were just talking um we're going to talk a lot about damascus waterfall we're going to talk a lot about delta snows but what i wanted to do was just richard and philip to get some background um first on and i think it'll add a lot of context and it'll make a lot of sense when we eventually wrap the interview up but um we both of you guys served our country um richard was uh army philip was marine and i'm navy so i think between the three of us we can conquer the world um and so just want to say first and foremost thank you guys for your service thank you and thank you for um, your service yeah absolutely um I miss it. I miss the guys. We were talking about that. Um, but Richard, why don't you kick us off? Talk, talk a little, give us a little bit of background. Um, you know, you are, you run kind of the Damascus waterfowl side of things. Um, and so, but give us some background first before we get into your, your waterfowl club. Um, there it's in Missouri, right? Yes, sir. It's, uh, in the boot heel of Missouri, right outside the town of Kennett. It's a little, little town called Bragg city. Awesome. Talk a little bit about where you grew up and, and where you were raised and, and hunting and all that stuff, and eventually how you found yourself enlisted in the United States Army. I was born and raised in northeastern North Carolina uh, in a little town called Tyner. It's near uh, Edenton, North Carolina. Probably another town nobody's heard of. <laughs> <laughs> about an hour and a half from Hampton, Virginia, Norfolk Naval Base. Uh, about an hour from Nags Head, the Outer Banks area. Yep. In the middle of farm country, I mean, God's country, your closest neighbors a mile away, and there's agriculture as far as you can see. And I mean, I was born and raised around that. Um, and when I was growing up, it was either be a farmer, go to college, or join the military. And my dad was a Navy guy like you. Outstanding. Um, 
So, I mean, there was a history of service in the family. He was a police officer as well. He retired out of the state of California. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was just this overwhelming sense of service. All the that, way from California your dad was? Yes, sir. My mom's from North Carolina where I'm oh, born okay. and raised. Okay, he was from you. California. He was born in Bakersfield, raised in Long Beach. But, um, yeah, like I said, I mean, it was just that sense of value from a young age. He's older. He's just turned 79 this year. I mean, and I'm only 28, and I'm his oldest. So, I mean, it was just an old-school mentality around our house, this overwhelming sense of service to others. And, I mean, of course, there's a little bit of testosterone in there, Mm -hmm. thrown in there. It's like, hey, Mm -hmm. I want to go blow stuff up and be (laughs) hua-hua. But, um, yeah, I mean, four days after – I graduated high school in 2008. I was in one station unit training at Fort Knox, Kentucky to be a 19 Delta Cavalry Scout. Check. Which is uh, the proudest accomplishment of my life. I mean, there's nothing like it. I mean, the guys and gals next to you when you're deployed, you look after each other. That sense of brotherhood, it never leaves you. And... It really, like like I told you before, if it wasn't for injuries and stuff like that, I wouldn't have gotten out. And I just, I love it. I love the military. I love serving. And really the only reason I got out is because I couldn't do my job anymore. And because of injuries, I mean, I'm not going to put the guy next to me at risk because I can't do my job. Right, right. Let me ask you this. So one thing, well, several things I learned about myself going through boot camp and the training I went through um, is that, the only obstacles before, so I can tell you this before I joined, everything was everybody else's fault. (laughs) Okay. Um, I always had an excuse. I always had a reason. I always had when, when I came out, I realized that the only person that puts obstacles in their way or in my way was me. And the only thing that, uh, could stop me was me. So not having a plan, my fault. Uh, something didn't go right, my fault. And so I'm wondering, like, what what change did you see in yourself uh, before you joined uh, and after you got out? I was very, very young mentally uh, as far as being mature, but I'm always interested in seeing the change in people um, both before and after they get out. So I'm wondering, t- tell me, was did you notice a big change in yourself when you got out, or were you always just kind of motivated, AJ squared away, high speed, low drag? Well, I'm not going to lie to you and say I came out of high school mo- high speed. Yeah. I'm more along the lines of like mediocre speed. <laughs> <laughs> but um i mean the whole time i was in high school i was a four, i was a three sport athlete or four sport athlete some years baseball shooting team football and wrestling so i mean mm. i played several sports but then my sophomore year i dropped all my sports and i focused exclusively on the junior reserve officer training corps there at school thinking that was really going to get me ahead i mean it ended up it got me a little bit of rank getting in, so I got paid a little mm-hmm. more. But, I mean, other than learning rank structure and stuff like that, it did give me a slight advantage going in. But, yeah, I mean, the difference between me before boot camp and after, 
let's just say my dad got a lot smarter. I mean, at 18 years old, I thought he was dumber than mm-hmm. a box of rocks. And when I mm-hmm. graduated, I realized he's probably one of the smartest men on the planet. Yeah. Everything that I thought he was full of turned out to be right. And every year, the older I get, the smarter he gets. It's pretty crazy. It's funny, man. It, now that I'm over 50 and I've got kids and responsibility and a family and, and you know, just the things that my old man told me that I was like, dude, whatever. Um, no, like legit, the old man was right. <laughs> you know, the old man was usually right, even though I'd never tell him that then. The old man's usually right. Absolutely. Mm. All right, so you get in um, Army Recon. Uh, now, you were in, you spent some time in Afghanistan, right? Yes, sir. Uh, deployed with 10th Mountain Division in Afghanistan, Kandahar Province, Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that, that, that right there, I mean, basic training woke me up. Deploying turned me from a kid into a man. Yeah. I mean, experiences. Oh, yeah. It's, it's definitely something. It's not like they portray in the video games. It's not glorified. No. And I fell into the same trap as a kid. I used to watch those video games, Call of Duty and all this stuff, and go, oh, man, that looks cool. And then you get to live it in real life, and you lose friends. And you think it's over when you get back from deployment, and then you start losing more friends back from deployment who who can't handle it. I mean, right? they, te- they teach you how to go to war. They don't teach you how to come home. No, you're exactly right. And and we were talking earlier, you know, when we have on average 20 veterans that take their own lives every single day, um, there's, there's something, there's a gap there that we are not addressing as, as an armed services community, but also as a country, there's, there's a problem there. And we're going to talk about a lot of the different ways that you're involved with helping wounded veterans and, and veterans of, of military service. Yes, sir. Um, but so you get out. What then? Well, I got out in October, 2016. From there, I went to school for a semester to see if it was something I enjoyed. And, um, yeah, it really wasn't. I mean, sitting around a bunch of 18 year old kids fresh out of high school and I'm old tw- mid twenties with more life experience than any of them listening to them complaining about how hard it is and needing a safe space and all this other stuff. And I was like, yeah, no, not happening. So I sucked it up for two more semesters and got a uh, HVAC HVAC diploma to fall Mm -hmm. back on just in case. I mean, Mm -hmm. recession-proof, just in case guiding doesn't work out, just in case my knife business doesn't work out, stuff like that. Yeah, it's always going to be hot and it's always going to be cold, right? Exactly. So, I mean, I I, I set... (laughs) A foundation for just in case. Uh, that's one thing I like to do. I always like to have a plan A, a plan B, a plan C through Z. There's always a backup plan to the backup plan. I mean, that's part of the military in me. There's always a backup plan. There's always contingencies in place just in case. And I think that really makes me a good leader in this industry and building a business from the ground up. Let me ask you something about what you just said, though, because I kind of had the same. Did you have, I don't want to say difficulty, but what was your relationship like with civilians when you came back? Um, it's really hard to describe because, I mean, 
when I got out of the military, I tried to tuck into my hole as far as I could, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Kind of like dug my hole and sat at the bottom with yep. my, my wife, my kids, my parents. I tried to separate myself from folks. And after a few months, I realized, hey, I can't do that. If I want to get through in life, I got to I gotta have a relationship with those around me. So, I mean, school was the beginning of it. I didn't enjoy going to school, but I sucked it up. And then, I mean, I found like-minded folks like myself. And um, I, that's what I did. I found people like me that were in the military, that weren't in the military, first responders, law enforcement officers, stuff like that. And I was like, yeah. man... How can I give back? So um, I actually found a means to do it. We've actually got a Facebook page for my 10th Mountain Division unit. And I was like, hey, um, I've got a fishing trip coming up, deep sea fishing trip out of Oregon Inlet, North Carolina. Y'all pay your way, but I'll arrange everything, and I'll pay the tips and all this other stuff. And it brought back six guys who hadn't seen each other since some dust bowl in Afghanistan four or five years before that, six years before that. And we went out for a day, and we fished, and we had a blast. We got to reconnect. We got to tell old stories. And at the end of the day, we got to hug each other, say our goodbyes, reminisce on friends lost since then. And I realized, man, that's something I can do to help. Like seeing a guy, like a guy called me, he's like, hey, that really helped me. Like you don't realize just how much somebody just calling and saying, hey, you want to go fishing? You don't know how much that means to some people. So then a few months later, fast forward, I was on the Facebook skimming through and I saw something called the Fallen Outdoors. It's a 501c3 nonprofit based out of Washington State that has teams in every every state. And I entered a fishing trip and uh, I won. So I got to go fishing with another group of vets with the Fallen Outdoors. And on that trip, I realized, I was like, man, I want to do this full time. And then a few months later, I found an organization called Fallen Outdoors. They were giving out a fishing trip. So I was like, great, I'm going to try and enter. And I entered, went out on a fishing trip with a bunch of vets like myself, this time from units I'd never been a part of. So I got to meet new people. And I was like, man, this is something I could mm-hmm. do full time. So I called the Fallen Outdoors. I was like, hey, do you guys need any uh, staffers in the state of North Carolina? And they were like, oh, yeah, you got plenty to offer. And I signed the contract, and since then, I've taken several vets out on trips and actually seen in person veterans, because we use because we use Facebook, I've actually seen veterans cry for help on Facebook. Like, hey, I'm in a dark place, I need help. And our network of veterans, our staffers, made sure someone was at their house. And I, don't, I, I think at least since Christmas of this year, I've seen at least 10 or 15 veterans who were about to make that permanent decision for a temporary problem, mm. turn yeah. around and not do it. Man, that's awesome. You know, for all of the negative crap that Facebook and social media has going on, it really can be used for good. Because that's how you and Philip, if I understand, that's how you and Philip met was on Facebook. I want to bring Philip in to kind of give us some of his background. Because, Philip, you were born in northwest Alabama, you said, I was right? Florence, Alabama. Okay. And you were a Marine, so simplify. I love my Navy uh, guys. But give us. Yeah, that's right. That's right, man. Got to stick together, brother. Um, talk to us kind of about, uh, you know, growing up there and what drew you to the Marine Corps and, and what that looked like for you. Well, growing up in Northwest Alabama, uh, 
when it gets to the waterfowl side, waterfowl side of things, I mean, there's there's practically no waterfowl hunting. I mean, you got to you catch a few birds off the Tennessee River and the the Ten Tom Waterway, which is actually Mississippi. But that's that's all you really mm-hmm. got unless you travel. So my dad, and I mean, none of my brothers, none of my grandfathers, none of them were waterfowl hunters ever. So they never took me. Uh, the only hunting I did was the buddies that had leases in the Mississippi Delta. We'd go over to Sledge. Mm. Sledge was the first place I ever hunted in my life. Oh, uh, yeah. So growing up there was was tough waterfowl-wise. Uh, yeah, but you and I, you know what? As we got to talking, the Mississippi Delta, for me, and guys like Josh Raggio, who I just had on the podcast, who I've shared many a tree with in the Mississippi Delta, that's a special, special, special place, man. It is, and and my favorite bird to shoot is a spoonie, and that that came from the Mississippi Delta, <laughs> brother. You got plenty. And I of love. Them. I absolutely love shooting spoonbills, uh, and Mississippi Delta is some of the best speck and snow goose hunting in the world, and people don't realize it. Yeah, no, there's going to be a bunch of guys saying, "Man, you telling everybody?" Come. No, I mean. Stop it. The speck and snow goose numbers you can put up in Mississippi are unheard of. And people don't think about yeah. it because they think Missouri and yeah, Arkansas it's just, and it's a it's a hidden gem and I hope it stays that way, honestly, but <laughs> I'm not complaining. But dude, for for you to be for you to be hunting snows, I, it takes a special kind of person to dedicate themselves to snow oh, goose hunting because that is one of the most frustrating birds to hunt i love uh, just because i i know dude but they got numbers on their side and that's when when your plan works and you just whack a bunch of them that makes it so much more special because you can sit there and watch them go in and and you know what it looks like when a big group of snow geese gets out of a field it's a oh yeah when you lay underneath a tornado of snow geese or a vortex and i mean it's 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 awesome. Yeah, it is. But dude, it's frustrating because you think you can go, like you can watch them from the truck and know where they're going <laughs> the next morning and go and set up thousands yep. and thousands of decoys and they'll go in the field next oh, yeah. year. You've got to be where they want to be. And I'm like, be. what? I mean, we killed 2,800 snow geese last year. Which... Well, and pro- and that's not even putting a oh, dent Oh, no. In. I mean, I wish we could kill 28,000 of them and we still wouldn't put a dent in them at 28,000. That's right. But That's yeah, right. I mean, I put, I put spreads out last year by myself on three different occasions. And I mean, that's four or oh five, six God. hours. When you started two in the morning. Yeah. That's four or five, six hours. I like to go in the evening before and set them up, but sometimes mm-hmm. I can't get down there until the morning of And I mean, doing it by yourself, that's a four hour job. Now, how do you find access? Do you have, do you have a bunch of leases that you, or is it just kind of ride around and knock and talk and, and knocking on doors? I mean, I've never paid a dime to, to hunt snow geese and, uh, respect their land. That's the biggest thing. I've got permission from farmers that, that people's asked for years. I mean, I respect Mm -hmm. their land. I respect their wishes. I, I, I even pick up my, my shell casings if that's what they want. Yeah. And I respect it, and I stay on their roads. I, I do exactly what they say, and that's the, it goes a long way. I mean, from Grenada to Tunica, we pretty much got permission to hunt. Mm. So if you can find snow geese, we got permission to kill them. Now, your base of, of operations now in the Delta is where? We 
base out of out of Crowder. Mm-hmm. That's that's our home. I mean, Crowder's always holding birds, mm-hmm. and Crowder is the easiest place for us to hunt them because every single person within twenty five miles of Crowder knows us. Right. So, uh, there's always birds in Crowder. I mean, you got the two refuges. Or the you know your WMAs you got the Coldwater mm-hmm. Refuge and the Tallahatchie Refuge, and I mean it just holds birds. There's always birds yeah. in Crowder. There's not that many people hunting unless I just don't see them. Uh, but you know one of the first episodes we ever filmed of Passion or Pursuit was in the Mississippi Delta on public ground, and you just don't see that many people targeting snow geese. You don't, and and I've never I've never ran into a, a guy down there. You know, occasionally the only people I ever run into that are actually hunting snow geese and setting out spreads are guys from like Minnesota and Michigan. Really? Just following them down? But I've never ran into anybody that's even like local states. They're yeah, always you said something. Yeah, but you said something, you said something important, setting out spreads. Because you'll get guys that'll try to do the Mohican creeping on them. Oh, yeah, um, which, which we, we catch people all the time shooting them out of vehicles. Yeah. That's, that's mainly how you guys hunt them. You know, your yeah. local guys, that's how they hunt them. But, yeah, people that actually put in the work and set out spreads, man, all them guys are from way up north. Yeah. It takes some kind of dedication to do that day in and day out because I've just gotten so frustrated. I mean, setting out four and 5,000 rag <laughs> spreads and full bodies and vortexes. and Oh, yeah. It's a and lot then of they want to hit the field next to you. I'm like, are you – do you not see the 6,000 decoys that I have out here? It's a labor of love. It's something. <laughs> yeah, I got a I got a good buddy named Ben Mask that he he helps out a lot. I mean, that if you can't kill snow geese, that, that dude right there can get you on them. Mm. Whatever kind of problems you're having with snow geese, he he knows them like anybody else and he can he can make it happen. Well, I got a guy with a nice fancy camera that I would love to stick him under a vortex next year. Oh, we can we can make that happen. This year was <laughs> tough to do. I mean, you talk out of twenty eight hundred birds. I, I, it's safe to say that less than fifty of those were juveniles. Well, that's what I found when we were in Canada, man. You're not going to kill them, and and we're killing snow goose bands that are twenty one, twenty three years old. Exactly. I mean, these birds are smart. Exactly. And if you don't have the juvies to make the mistakes, you're not going to kill them. Look, and I thought that's what we were going to have, man. We went all the way to Saskatchewan from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Drove up there with an 18-foot decoy trailer just full of tangle-free decoys. Oh, yeah. Um, and and we, we did good, okay? We, we had a good hunt. But, you know, the whole way up there, you're, the, the reason you go up there is, is for those young, dumb, stupid either mallards or snows and you know mallards are mallards are coming to a snow goose spread like you know they just don't care oh yeah but but these dude there were no there were no juvenile birds none no and it's i mean you're you're shooting and even on your your stalk jump shoots and stuff i mean we were we killed seven snow goose bands this year i mean that that's unheard of and the only reason that happened is because your bigger, more mature birds are typically banded. Mm-hmm. I mean, you kill 100 snow geese, normally 75 of those are juvies. Right. So we were killing nothing but mature birds this year. Well, that's an accomplishment, man. Yeah, we killed six banded Rosses and one banded Blue. Really? I got a big eagle head in the freezer. I got to bring to the taxidermist. 
I love that. That's my bird, dude. I oh, yeah. love those things, man. I killed a bunch of beautiful birds this year. I just love that big eagle head. I mean, and, and I don't know what it is. I, they could have a thousand of them sitting it, and I'll see that one that I want. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know. They're gorgeous birds. But talk about your operation there. Delta Snows is the is the operation. How many guys are you running? Um, what type of – you get guys that come in, what can they expect from, um, you know, a lodging perspective and walk us through that whole thing? How we do the lodging for Delta Snows is hotel simply mm-hmm. because, you know, it's you obviously know not be. like – it's not like duck. Right. You know, we're moving around so much and we're following the spreads. Mm-hmm. So, therefore – I mean, we, we've tried to work out of a, a lodge before, but it's it's not practical for snow geese like you can with ducks. Yeah. And uh, we'll put you in a, a lodge, and there's only two of us really running it now. You know, it's going to mm-hmm. grow with us adding the, the, the Damascus waterfowler side to it mm-hmm. because we can hunt them in southeast Missouri now. You know, southeast Missouri, you have to lease the land if you're going to hunt them. Right. And we have 535 acres up there in, in prime spot. So... It's going to grow, but at, before Richard got on board with us and we tied all this together, it's, it was just me and Ben Mask. And Ben works a full-time job, so I mean, we were hunting them as we could. I was either going out, and when he could, he would take a group out. So it's, it's going to grow a lot more now that we have more or less the time and the hands now. Right. Now, just morning hunts, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, we'll stay all day. I mean, right. I, I, the, it's not about the money for me either. I mean, you're, ne- you're never going to get rich doing this. If, nope. if the only way you're going to get a millionaire is if you start out a billionaire mm-hmm. and <laughs> the enjoyment I get out of it is seeing people get to do it for the first time. The first time somebody's laying on their back in a spread and you got 25,000 birds, a hundred yards above you vortexing yeah and that that's what it's all about we love taking kids every youth day you know on the waterfowl side we do a snow goose hunt for the kids we we love to do that and and even people that can't afford it come out anyway we we love we love for especially veterans and people that that typically typically can't do it because i mean Mm -hmm. you gotta have four thousand decoys the average person does not do that not only the average, most people. Oh, yeah. So you're running, I mean, the, the, the minimum we'll run is 2,500 decoys. Mm-hmm. And that's last-minute setups. Yeah. Now, are you are you typically using rags or full bodies or silhouettes or a mixture of all or both? or? I run uh, from I, – I liked all my socks to have backbones. Yeah. That's a that's a big difference. I I like backbones. We run some uh, uh, socks, or we run some rags for fillers, and then I like my socks yeah. to have backbones. Yeah. But I'm running. I think I run around forty five dozen full bodies. Mm-hmm. I run a vortex. Depending the, last year, you couldn't run a vortex. On a good year, we run vortexes and kites and flyers and I mean the whole shebang. Yeah. Yeah. Um. We started using Tangle Freeze slammer socks. Oh yeah, this year. Oh my gosh, dude! I've got probably nice. oh I don't even know a hundred dozen at least of the Tangle Free. Yeah, right. 
because right. I mean you're going to be rough on stuff when it snow goose hunting. You guys donated a snow goose hunt for veterans last year, correct? No this this year will be the the first year to do that, and that's for okay. the uh, the organization that Richard is a part of, the uh, Fallen right. Outdoors. Right. Okay. Richard, um, talk to me about how the relationship between Damascus Waterfowl Club and Delta Snows, what, what does that dynamic look like? Well, I mean, we've got big plans in the future. Uh, we don't plan to stay in Missouri and Mississippi. Uh, the ultimate goal between myself and Phil is to have, what I want to do is have a lodge in every flyway. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is the first step. Mississippi Flyway is known for sunken pits and snow geese 10 years from now we might have a lodge out in west kansas on dry cornfields you know or northern california in the flooded rice up there or something like that california kills a lot of birds man it's a i mean it's an underrated state a lot of people don't think california when they think duck hunting they think oh california you got a bunch of hippies and which you do pit oh yeah i mean (laughs) you definitely got a pick your way through it yeah but then you go to northern california and you got some good old boys up there too i mean yeah. duck hunting is not a geographic thing it's not like you go to the rocky mountains to hunt elk or you go to canada to catch pike or you go to the great lakes to catch this no you can hunt ducks literally in almost every state in the country and there's going to be somebody there that is an avid waterfowler man years of yeah, years ago, I flew into Sacramento. First time I'd ever flown to California, I flew into Sacramento. And I had no idea how much rice there was. Um, like in Glen County and all that stuff around Sacramento, you were talking about Bakersfield out that way. Man, I, I, I thought I was landing in, south, in southwest Louisiana or in Arkansas. Oh, yeah. A lot of people think, oh, the southeast United States is where all the crops are and stuff like that. But the state of California puts out more produce, more crops than most of the Midwest. I mean, it. it everybody thinks California. They think of Hollywood. They think of San Francisco Bay. But there's a lot more to California than people realize. And most of the stuff you hear on, on in the media is negative. But it's actually the number one waterfowl destination in the country. If you look at the Ducks Unlimited stats and stuff like that, well, over they're, recent years, yeah, they're definitely number one. When you look at, uh, I'm, I'm, I've been a Delta Waterfall guy forever. It's a great organization, absolutely. If you look at the the revenue that comes in from duck stamps, and if you look at the DU revenue and the Delta Waterfall revenue, dude, California is either number one or number two always in all of those categories. Absolutely, it's crazy because, like you said, you you think California, you you don't you don't usually think duck hunting, <laughs> but it you know to, I had some guys that uh, hunted with us two years ago. They hunt the San Jacinto Valley um, or the San Jacinto National Wildlife Refuge, and uh, man, they smack them in there, dude. And they they oh, yeah, beg I mean, you to come hunt it. <laughs> absolutely, I'm I'm trying to plan a trip out there. Because I want to go up to the Northern California and shoot some pintail in them rice fields yeah, out there. Yeah, yeah. Now we, you said something earlier that, and I'm going to change it a little bit because waterfowling. You know, we talked about how we got our start, and one of the things that I find more familiar with every guest that I talk to is how many 
guys that hunt like their their fathers or grandfathers either didn't hunt period or didn't duck hunt at all and that was true with my story i mean my dad was not a hunter my grandfather was maybe a rabbit hunter you know in the middle part of the state of louisiana but my dad was not a hunter really at all and for some reason i mean i was just always always drawn to it never really knew why but if you if you ever see the 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 blood origins episode where they asked me to tell my story about you know what drew you to duck hunting well you know i was saved in a in a tupelo gum swamp in the middle of the mississippi delta and philip you know right where it is because we've talked about it but it was my creator that was drawing me into his creation to bring me out of whatever whatever place i was to experience him and you said something richard you said that you know waterfowl draws us out of really dark places i think that nature in itself draws us out of dark places because it is as close as you can get to your creator and the what creation was before the fall of man and so you with your organization now are using fly fishing like you you know when we talked before you were in colorado helping a bunch of vets fly fish which was kind of jealous about that but that's all right um the uh because i love throwing flies at redfish in the marsh i mean that cranks my tractor in the morning right there but absolutely talk a little bit about where you are right now and what you're doing helping vets disabled vets or, or veterans just in general get out of dark places well that's one key thing uh, the fallen outdoors we don't just go like some organizations they only take wounded veterans or they only take gold star families the fallen outdoors we take active duty disabled veterans reservists gold star family members and we take them into the outdoors as a means to reconnect so, like, even as a staffer, even though I'm the one there to help you, it helps me. Because mm-hmm. I get to see the smile on your face when you reel in that trophy trout. I get to see the smile on your face when you pull in a big catfish. I get to see the smile on your face when you send that you send that broadhead down range on a deer or a turkey. Or you line up on a wood duck in a swamp with your grandpa's old yeah. humpback A5. Yeah. I mean, I've got to see all that. I've got to see people that have never hunted before in their life go hunting for the first time. I've seen people that have hunted their whole life, and they still, they're still looking for that experience. They're looking for somebody to share it with. I mean, and it really, it not only does it help other people, but it saved me when I got out because I didn't have a purpose when I got out. Mm. Like I said, I didn't want to get out of the military. I didn't, and I got out and I helped my dad make knives, and that's not what I wanted to do. I mean, I enjoy making knives, but it's not something I want to do six months every year or my whole life, eighteen hours a day. I wanted to do what I love, which is hunting and fishing. And I wanted to help the people I love, which are the veterans that I served with. And even veterans I didn't serve with. Oh, no, you're in the you're in the Navy. Oh, no, you're in the Marine Corps. I didn't serve with you. But guess what? One team, one fight. I'm here for you. I know you're here for me. We're going to look after each other. Like I told you a few weeks ago, veterans look after veterans. No one else is going to look after us. They're going to wish us a happy Veterans Day. They're going to mourn with us on memorial day but once that day's over with they they go back to a standard nine to five 24 7 job mm. 
go back to living the life they were living before. Me, you, Phil, we live Memorial Day every day. We remember those guys that we lost. And instead of feeling sorry for them and feeling sorry for ourselves, we find ways to help those who are still around. So that's what I do through the Fallen Outdoors. I, I get to take guys hunting and fishing. I get to see, like I told you earlier, I get to see guys with that cry for help. And I get to see that support system brought on by the Fallen Outdoors react and help fix that. I, I can't even count on my hands since Christmas how many people we've prevented from making that mistake. Mm. A temporary, a, a permanent fix for a temporary solution. That's what my oldest arm major used to call it. Yeah. And I mean... I can tell you now, I didn't I didn't expect it to be as bad as it was. When I came back from Afghanistan, we'd lost, we'd lost 12 guys, seven mm-hmm. guys from my unit and a couple of Air Force guys and EOD guys that were attached to us. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, we just lost 12 guys. And it blew my mind. But then I came back from Afghanistan, and instead of it going back to normal and us going back to living our life, training, being soldiers, people kept dying. Yeah. And there was nothing I could do. Guys in the barracks hanging themselves. Guys drinking and driving, hurting other people. Guys killing themselves because of spouses that couldn't handle deployments or got, they couldn't handle deployments. And it just, each one of those guys made me realize we need to help each other. So, I, I mean, the Fallen Outdoors helps me do that. It's a means for me to do that. And, I mean, even if I wasn't a part of the organization, I'd do whatever I could in my power to yeah. help those guys. People that are listening right now, because I think what Fallen Outdoors does is absolutely amazing. How can more people get involved? What What do you guys need? Someone's listening. What What do you need? That this is what we need: word of mouth. I mean, we only operate through Facebook. We don't advertise online like right. a couple other organizations. But literally, everything is word of mouth. Right. So we've got several facebook pages and that's where we give out the hunts we've got mm-hmm. the main page which is the fallen outdoors then we've got the main the fallen outdoors east coast page so people from the eastern part of the state or eastern part of the country can enter for hunting and fishing trips call for help uh put out there like hey i'm new to hunting and fishing who wants to meet up because i mean you don't have to go with a staffer there's people up there that are like hey i'm going fishing today who wants to go hang out yeah and they're not even a staffer then you've got a Midwest page, you've got a Western page, you've got a Southern page, etc. So we've got the whole country covered. And I mean, I think we're up to 34 teams out of the 50 states. So, I mean, we need volunteers in those other, That's other states. Say, it's a drop in the bucket, man. Yep. And I mean, if we could get, even if we got 10 members per state, that still covers a few people per state. So, I mean, we can use that network yep. to help each other. Because there's no one else. The the VA claims they want to help. The government, every politician on the planet says they want to help. But if you look and see who's actually helping, it's always veterans helping veterans. Right. Right. Let's, let's, I'm going to put all of that information in the show notes so that when yes, people listen, uh, when they go to our show page and they see, um, they can link up. There's some, don't think that because you're not a professional guide or a professional outfitter or you don't have the, Anybody can do anything for anybody. The only limitations that exist are the ones that you put in your mind. So anybody that, you know, if you're listening, check out the show notes and, and look at look at what Fallen Outdoors is doing. 
one of the things that I'm kind of concerned about this year is all the water. Philip, where you are, uh, because I know that in the delta where my camp is, there's still just a ton of water. What what's your situation there in uh, in Mississippi now? Uh, where we're at up in the Quitman County. I mean, I've still got blinds that you can't even get to. I mean, I, I have blinds that need moved that are in rice fields from last year that are still three, four, five foot of water. Mm. I mean, it, it is current. We are that far from the Mississippi River, and there is legitimate current. But you got the cold water in the Tallahatchie River that ties together just south of Crowder. I mean, it's one yeah. big, it's one big river. I mean, they're still running food to the elderly there in boats. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, there's there's so many people suffering that have lost everything right now. I feel, I feel kind of shitty talking about, you know, duck season or what does that mean for our hunting season when so many people have lost everything. Yeah, and I see people talking all the time of how awesome it's going to be. I mean, yeah, southeast Missouri this year is going to be amazing. I mean, Arkansas's lost crops. Mississippi's planted nothing. Um, Nebraska lost corn. I mean, you got the the levee broke in northern Missouri. What? Yeah. A few days ago. Yeah. And everybody's talking about, oh, Southeast Missouri's gonna be awesome. Yeah, it is, but they don't realize that there's thousands and thousands of farmers and and homes that are devastated. Right. I mean, there's farmers that are gonna. That lost everything. I personally know guys in the Mississippi Delta that have not got any crops in the ground. Yeah, well, exactly. I was I was talking to Dustin Roddy with uh, Cash River Farms. He was on the podcast a while back. He's going to come back on here soon. But he's got uh, I don't I just I don't know how many clients that you know he does consulting for for waterfowl and that, and he's got so many clients that they're waiting for backwater to get off of different places that he doesn't even know if they're going to be able to plant i was talking to travis sipe who is one of my guys up in kansas talking about you know hunting ducks and dry cornfields <laughs> there ain't none um right now no. and 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 i don't know you know we're talking to him there's a lot of guys if, if they can't get corn in the ground in the next week that's it oh I mean, yeah there's just there, there's there's not enough time and I mean, yeah, I, I hear the same thing. I see it all the time. Like people are like, "Oh yeah, duck hunting's gonna be great this year." And I mean, yeah, of course we as duck hunters want to have a great season every season. But at the same time, you want think about your fellow man. I mean, if if at their expense, I mean, you got the best one, arguably the best waterfowl lodge in the country in Northwest Missouri, Tony Vandemore. Mm-hmm. Instead of him, instead of going out and planting his crops like he could be doing right now, the man's out there with his buddies putting down sandbags, helping people. Yeah. And I mean, that he's one of the, his business is ducks, and he is foregoing that to help his fellow man. Yeah, look, I, I'm And not, that shows right there the kind of guy he is. It's, yeah. it's awesome. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with talking about what will the impact be to duck hunting or to, or to waterfowl season. I mean, oh, yeah. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, because I, I am generally curious. I, I think '93 we had kind of a the same kind of situation with water all over the place. Um, some people had a great year, some people not so much. But I, I just in the conversations that we have, 
guys that are listening to this podcast, try to temper that also with thinking about people that have just lost everything. I was here in Louisiana during Katrina. Now, thank God, and we were blessed that we didn't, you know, I live north of New Orleans, north of Lake Pontchartrain, so we didn't have water, but we did have, you know, 100-foot pine trees flying over the house, so that kind of sucked. But my point in saying that is there's nothing wrong with talking about I wonder what this is going to do to duck season in general, but keep in mind that there are people that are listening to conversations that have lost everything. So oh, yeah. keep those and people And if they're alive. listening right now, if they're listening right now, you're in our prayers. If you need anything, let us know. We'll try and help you however we can. Yeah. Like I said, social media can be used for a lot of really negative things, but it can also be used for some really positive things. And helping your fellow man in need is definitely one of those one of those things but, so yeah absolutely i don't care if it's the best going to be the best duck season on record if my buddy calls me and says hey i need your help i can shoot ducks any day of the week during duck season from your your waterfowl side of things though i mean just like in like where we're at in uh the boot hill of missouri i mean there's no water anywhere i mean mm-hmm. all the crops are in the ground you can you can drive through there right now they already got rice on water yeah I mean, it's it should I, be. This is going to be the perfect storm in southeast Missouri this year. You think so? You got flooding. I, I, looking at the crop projections, looking at flooding from a purely statistical standpoint, I've read somewhere that between forty and sixty percent of crops aren't in the ground in some states. Right. And then the other forty to sixty, forty to sixty percent, bunch of it's underwater. The ducks are going to go where there's food. I mean, everybody's like, oh, there's going to be a lot of water for them to hang out in. They ain't going to hang out in water. Yeah. There ain't no food for them to yeah, hang out in. Yeah, they're going to sit there and swim and starve. I mean. Exactly. So, I mean, right now, if I were to, if I were a betting man, I'd say this is the year to be in southeast Missouri because, like Phil said, all our crops are in the ground. Yeah. I mean, we bit the bullet, and it was close, but we got all the crops in the ground, and we are not underwater. Now, are you primarily corn in that area? It is. We are one hundred percent rice. Oh, okay. Okay, I got you. Uh, if 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 the rice hadn't gotten to the ground, we were going to have a few stands of soybeans. But thankfully, we got all rice in the ground. Yeah, it's either rice or soybeans in that area. There's not the soil content in that area doesn't allow corn to be grown. Or I'd happily put a little bit in the ground. Right. Right. Well, I hunted. Um, we were in Canada. We hunted a chickpea field. And, dude, I have never seen ducks do more stupid things than to get into a chickpea field. I've never heard of chickpea. It's hummus, dude. I mean, it's, it's basically it's what it is. It really? don't. I, I, I picked one up and ate it. It don't taste like cyber hummus. I can tell you that right now. Don't. Them ducks can have it if it's hummus. Yeah. I'll, I'll take a steak. Oh, yeah, pure protein. Roger that. But, um. <laughs> the, the, I'm telling you, they will do some stupid things to get into a chickpea field. We might have to look into getting some chickpeas and might have to call. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, man, it's it's crazy. Damascus is a duck club. It is not a it is not an an outfitting organization, which is where Delta Snows comes in. That's the relationship, correct? Correct. Yes, sir. Okay. 
with with that, do you guys find yourselves doing a lot of moist soil stuff? You know, sprinkle top, jap millet, uh, barnyard grass, or is it all pretty much rice that you're hunting over? Everything we hunt is rice. Uh, that's actually part of the landowner we work with. We lease from he he handles all okay, that. Okay, I got you. Luckily, he uh, he actually is pretty perceptive to us. Like, hey. How do you want us to cut the field at the end of the season? When do you want us to drain it? Oh, Stuff good. like that. We've got really good agreements in place. So, like, say the field's too, too deep one day, like it's almost in the pit or something. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we're going to lift the boards to let a little water out, right. but not all of it. That way we can hunt it more effectively because if all the stubble's underwater, the ducks ain't going to be there. Right, right, right. See, and I prefer like, rice. I can kill ducks mm-hmm. and snow geese off of rice. Mm-hmm. And specs. Yeah. I'll eat it. I'll shoot a speck over a duck ninety percent of the time. Yeah, yeah. ribeye. The uh, one of my our field pastors, Matt Robertson, was the last one we just had on the podcast, and uh, he is. I, I said on the podcast, and he agreed. He's ADD about two things: Jesus and speckled belly geese. Yep. I mean, dude just talks to him, bro. It's it's like a magic show watching him work speckled belly geese. It's something else. Oh, yeah. You want to come kill some speckled belly geese, come just drive up a little bit to the Mississippi Delta, and we, I'll kill a goose over a duck. Dude, I ain't that far from you now. I'm telling you, I'm telling I'll kill you. a goose over a duck any day, or a speck. I'll kill a speck over a duck any day. That's funny, man, how we have our preferences to uh, – I mean, if, if, if the Lord told me you – have one option if 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 you had to pick one 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 uh bird to kill and one kind of setting in which to kill it uh richard what would yours be if i had to pick one duck the rest of my well, life either a duck or a goose and yeah. over right you know just in, in a pit, in a rice field, or in a dry corn field, or in flooded timber, or just if 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 the Lord knocked on your door and said, "Okay, decision time." What? So any waterfowl on planet Earth doesn't count. All right, so I got to be specific. Yes. Hmm. That's a close one-two race between a speckle belly and a sandhill crane mm-hmm. over corn. Okay. Uh, like a sandhill crane over corn or a speckle belly over rice. Gotcha. That's a real close one-two right there because both of them, I think, with my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> and both of them are pretty delicious. Yeah. Um, but if you were to tell me I had to pick a duck, it's hard to beat. It's hard to beat some um, whistling snow geese in timber. Yeah. I love to shoot. I mean, I know there's plenty of them, but to me, just to, just like right at daybreak. When the sun's starting to peek up and you hear you hear that whistle coming through the trees. Whistling snow geese or wood ducks? No, the wood oh, ducks. Yeah. Okay. Coming through that timber. Yeah. <laughs> that get your heart fluttering. Say, I've never killed any snow geese in timber. <laughs> That's what I was thinking when he said it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. If I had to pick a duck, if I had to pick a duck, it'd be a wood duck in timber. Right. Right. All right. Because that's where I started. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in, in North Carolina, one of our field pastors lives in North Carolina, just about an hour outside of Myrtle Beach, so not too far from where you were talking about. About four hours north of Myrtle Beach, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, and and his, you know, he, that's what he has is, from a from a duck perspective, it's wood ducks in the swamp. Now, they, they do pretty decently uh, on Canada geese early season, and they smash a bunch of turkeys. Hmm. I mean, they flat out just, they treat them bad, man. <laughs> But 
you know, all right, Phil, so it's, it's your, it's your turn now. And I'm guessing a speckle belly goose over rice. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you specs. I mean, I carry two calls on my lanyard, a duck call and a speck call. That's it. Yeah. Any opportunity to kill a speck, I kill them. And, and most of the time we do actual speck hunts, you know, that's all we hunt specks. Yeah. But a duck, I love killing spoonbills. You get a group of spoonbills come through, you'll kill three the first pass, and they're stupid enough to come back and kill the rest mm-hmm. of them. I'd, Hashtag Spoonie Gang. That's my favorite thing. Yeah, I knew that's why you were saying that earlier, because if you miss, they'll give you two or three other shots. Yes, they'll come right back in and you kill all. <laughs> I, I, I love, absolutely love killing a group of spoonbill. I'd probably want to get shot in the face, too, if I had a nose like that. <laughs> <laughs> so my, if I had to say... I love standing in green timber. I just, number one, because that's where I was saved. Right. Um, that's, to me, just the whole experience and setting. I mean, I can go back to Bible verses that, that I read and just absolutely take me to my spot in the timber. I love shooting wood ducks as they come through at daylight, Richard, just like you said. But, man, there's just something about calling at a big group of circling greenheads and when that hen starts hollering back at you you know what's fixing to happen oh yeah and uh, man that would be mine well thankfully we're in the united states and we're in a free country so we don't have to make that choice for now (laughs) for now for now because we're the do when we do this time goes by so quickly we're at an hour almost we've got another five or so minutes that being said what did we not talk about that you guys wanted to get into uh i'm going to put all of your contact information in the show notes so people know how to get in touch with uh with you philip for for delta snows and and richard especially for helping helping our our military, the, the work that, that your organization does is amazing. But if there's something that we forgot to talk about in the closing minutes, let me know. I'd like to mention uh, the DTD Outdoors. Yeah, go ahead. I'm, uh, I'm sorry. Ch- no, Chad Hill, which is a good friend of mine, he runs that out of uh, Monroe County, Mississippi, you know, mm-hmm. wh- where I'm from. And uh, he's the guy that we, the second weekend of December is his weekend through Damascus waterfowlers. So he has that weekend. He We give him so many slots that he can give away to veterans. And he brings them in. It's all inclusive. I mean, we get them there. We do everything. All they have to do is bring their body. And uh, Chad runs that. It's a non-profit. And it's, it's only three years old, so he's still growing. Uh, but he does a lot of good work for not only veterans, but, you know, the needy. He's a he's a great guy, and that's why we decided to do that weekend for Chad at DTD Outdoors. Yeah, good. I'm I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you brought that up. So many good things that you guys are doing for veterans, and I, I really want to make sure that that we connect that we connect this year. I, I think there's so many different things that we can do together to help uh, all the organizations that that you know you, the organizations that that you guys have not only from an outfitting perspective but just from uh, helping veterans uh, I think that there's a lot that we can do everything that we do as an organization from revelation outdoors and passionate pursuit it's all it's all ministry based 
and it's all designed to use what we see when we're out either waterfowl hunting if, if we're duck hunting if we're duck hunting if we're goose hunting whatever is to point our fellow hunters point them towards christ and that everything that we do has that purpose and i think that there's so many ways that we can get involved and help each other that i want to really explore that this year and i am super thankful that you guys cleared your schedule to come on the podcast with me we're absolutely glad you had us joey yeah man this is uh we we need to do it again and we need to do it often and maybe maybe we can do one from uh from a goose pit <laughs> that would be a first we'll do one from a goose pit this year or something like that well you're well, welcome you're anytime to come out you, you just call and say when you want to come yeah man yeah we'll we'll do it i i'm really trying to uh both brian and I, brian handles all of our our um you know all of our creative media so all video and stuff like that and so we've really tried to say okay let's not schedule stuff let's just let the weather and the migration dictate where we go and when we go there and so we had to make ourselves we had to force ourselves to be very very flexible and say okay we've got we've got a network of guys just all over the place and said okay they're here you guys need to be here in the next 48 hours oh yeah you just give me a five minute notice and you show up Yep, we got spots for you at the lodge in Missouri. We got spots for you down in Mississippi. I'd love to have you in a. would love to have you in a duck pit shooting some greenheads. We'd love to have you down there in a vortex shooting snows and spoonbills. Yes, I love. Oh, you yeah, spoonies spoon for bills. days. <laughs> well, guys, I appreciate it. Y'all enjoy the rest of your uh, your evening, and uh, we'll be talking to you again soon. Yep, thank you, Joey. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Richard and Philip from a fellow veteran. I want to thank you both again for your service as you guys said one team one fight you guys stay on the path your stories are inspiring and we i guarantee you we'll be spending more time together this coming season to everyone listening please look up these great organizations their links are in the show notes all you have to do is scroll down and click them check out these organizations and see how you can maybe do a little bit to give back to those who gave so much for our freedom and our country and our security again thank you guys we'd like to also thank edge duck boats to hatsu outboards retail shotguns apex ammunition and sitka gear for supporting passion of pursuit and revelation outdoors waterfowl ministry and the no limits podcast without the help of these companies we would not be able to do what we do so i humbly ask you our listening audience to support the companies that support us we appreciate it Finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a five-star rating wherever you listen. It helps us continue to keep climbing up the rankings. And if you wouldn't mind, please share the, the episode of the show with a hunting buddy. We really appreciate that, too. Your support is showing because we were just named as one of the top ten waterfall, pod, waterfall podcasts on the interwebs by Feedspot. So, again, thank you all so much. Keep on listening. Keep on sharing. We love you guys. That's all the time we have. Until next episode, bye-bye, y'all.